Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and it is an absolute joy to be here with you, to be able to celebrate and continue to celebrate what God is doing in and through us, God's church, that we can be a part of God's kingdom-building mission and activity right here in this place. Wherever we are, we can be beacons of light that point back toward Jesus. If you're new here, I just wanted to say you are welcome here. We are, not only are you welcome, we're excited that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you're joining us online or in person. We are just excited, over the moon excited, that you have chosen to spend a bit of time with us today celebrating who God is and what God is doing in uh, our lives and how we can be different because of it. We recognize that we're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we know the one who is, and that's Jesus. And we want so desperately to be more and more like Jesus, so we want to invite you on a journey with us so that we can grow in relationship with God. We can grow in relationship with one another so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. We've been uh, on this series during this season of Lent, this season of preparation for Easter, that that we have been on a, a message, a worship series called I Am which is taking a look uh, at the Gospel of John. Uh, John was one of Jesus' closest friends, disciples, one of the earliest disciples that Jesus had. And John records some, some specific statements that Jesus makes about himself. Jesus in his own words, where he says, I am. Uh, there are seven statements in John's gospel where he, he does that. And we've been looking at, at this for a little bit. We talked about uh, how Jesus is the bread of life, how Jesus is the light of the world, how Jesus is the sheep gate. And so we're going to continue that today. Uh, but if you are new here, just know that you're, or if you've missed a little bit, just know that you're not going to be that far behind. We're going to catch you up real quick. Uh, I remember when I was a kid. Now, some of the, you, this is going to become, uh, come as a shock. Uh, truly, you're, you're going to be confused by the whole prospect of it is that uh, I wasn't always uh, all that well behaved. <laughs> I, I, I didn't always do what I was supposed to do. I wasn't always uh, obedient to my parents or their wills. And this used to frustrate my dad. More than anybody else, it frustrated my dad. My mom would act as like the peacekeeper, the go-between, the one who would reconcile and, and, and return our family to right relationship. Uh, and, and, and it was because my dad and I were just like oil and water most times. But one time, in, in particular, I remember my dad came home from work and, and my mom had, had, I had done something to frustrate my mom. And my mom told me, when your father gets home, you are going to get a whipping. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard those words, but they struck fear into little Steve. And Steve was concerned that when dad got home, I was really going to be punished. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a super good boy so that maybe mom will forget to mention it, or maybe mom will have a bit of compassion for for me and and not have dad spank me. And uh, dad got home and the first thing she said is, you need to discipline your son. I don't even remember what I did, but whatever it was, it was enough to make her mad. And dad, uh, maybe he had had a great day at work. I don't know, but he said, what, what should, why should I discipline? You know, it wasn't a uh, blanket check of, okay, I'll go, go get the belt. Why should I discipline him? 
And she explained to him uh, whatever I had done, and, and he said, okay, and he went and got the belt. And I was like, no, this is not going the way that I had hoped at all. And my dad took me around into my bedroom, which was away from the kitchen uh, where mom was, and, and he shut my bedroom door. And he said, now, son, I, I heard what you did, and you shouldn't have done it, but I don't think you should get spanked over it. So if you can keep a secret... I'm going to take care of this. And I was like, well, absolutely, I can keep a secret. As long as my hiney doesn't get beat by a belt, I will keep whatever secret you want. Uh, and dad said, uh, I, you know, he took the belt and he hit the bed and he was like, that's ah, not going to cut it. And so he took the belt and he stepped out to the side and he hit himself on the leg because it sounded right. And he hit himself about the same, same way he would if, if, if it was my hiney he was hitting. And so he, he took my punishment for me. He hit himself and he looked at me and I was supposed to say, ow, uh, you know, because that's what I did. And he, he did the three pops that mom had demanded of him, but he hit himself on the leg instead of hitting me. And I'm telling you, it's an interesting thing. I, like I said, I don't remember what I had done and I don't remember if I never did it again, but I remember, I remember that my dad took my punishment for me. And it's truly an interesting feeling to have somebody take your punishment for you. Uh, we take notice. We take notice when other people do this. When people take punishment or, or, or give something extravagant for us. I, we, we have a, a whole day dedicated to those who pay the ultimate sacrifice, right? It's called Memorial Day, where we, where we thank and remember those men and women who stood for our country and gave their lives so that we might have the freedoms that we enjoy today. It's, it's something powerful when that happens because it, it makes a statement it makes a statement that says you are important. You are worth something. You are special. When they take your punishment or when they offer their life for you, it can be overwhelming. As a matter of fact, uh, if, if we're honest with ourselves, it, it can cause us to struggle. We struggle because we don't think we're worth it. Or maybe we know we're not. If you ever pull up into a line uh, at, a, at a fast food store or whatever, and they say, hey, the car behind you has paid for your meal, right? And you feel guilty because you're like, well, I didn't need that. And so usually it starts this chain reaction of, well, if they paid for mine, I'm going to go ahead and pay for the one behind me because I don't want to be the one that just receives without giving. <laughs> or if you have ever received a gift from someone, and you didn't have a gift to give them in return, and you felt ashamed. Anytime people do things for us, it can make us feel less, like we're not as important. If somebody stands up for you to hold you up, you can feel like, you know, you just weren't strong enough to speak out on your own. It can be very uncomfortable and I believe, I believe that sometimes knowing what God has done for us can, 
can give us this same feeling, the feeling that, that we're, we're really not worth what God has done for us. We're, we're really not worth it, or maybe we're just not special enough that, that He should have done those things. And so today we're going to take a look at, at why, why Jesus sees that we're worth it, why Jesus is willing to give His life so that we might have life in Him. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about I am the sheep gate. Jesus says, I am the sheep gate. But he does that in the middle of, of this miraculous healing that he has performed. He, is, um, he has gone uh, and, and given a, a man's sight who was born blind. And, and while he's in the process of that, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious elite are not so excited uh, with, with the whole turn of events. And, and they believe that the guy was born blind because his parents or him did something even while he was in the womb. And that's why that, that sin is what carried into his life. And, and so uh, Jesus has healed this guy and then begins to share with those that are listening, including the religious elite, a parable about him being this sheep gate, the way in and out. And, and Jesus continues that parable, that statement, trying to teach those that are listening and also the religious elite about who he is. John records this in his gospel. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. <laughs> the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, Jesus Jesus is equating the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious elite, to the hired hand. That God has created this community of faith. That God has placed them as the hired hand to help out. And, and, and Jesus comes into this as the good shepherd, and, and, and he is the one that is willing to go the extra mile. But the hired hand, hired hand flees when a wolf comes near. The hired hand isn't going to stand firm because the hired hand is there for the money, not for the sheep. I, I, when I was in the Navy, uh, I got the opportunity, got the opportunity, I was sent overseas for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I spent about a year in the United Arab Emirates and uh, in, in that general vicinity. And while we were there, uh, I, I was performing my first job in the Navy. My first job in the Navy was to clean toilets. Uh, it was so spectacular. After A school, after, after uh, you learn your trade in the Navy, then usually you go to first lieutenant, which is where you clean floors and toilets and do the general upkeep of things that need to happen. And, and, and I, I was doing that in the Middle East because somebody has to do it there too. Uh, but while I was there, I, I had been transitioned to go and work with the security team. 
Uh, and the security team was trained by a group called EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. These people are legitimately crazy. Um, and, and because for a living, they go and, and, and disarm bombs and blow things up. The blowing things up was cool. The disarming bombs, not so cool. But they taught us how to have, uh, be, be the security force for Naval Air Station Abu Dhabi, which doesn't exist anymore. And it was only there for a short period. But we were the security team for that. And so I had, I'd gotten my training on the M60 and on the 50 caliber and, and, uh, an M16 uh, was, was, I had an M16 that was mine and I had a 45, uh, that was mine. And I had weapons that I used to guard. Now, most people in the Navy don't get their weapons certifications because they don't need them. On a ship, you rarely have to do hand-to-hand combat or any of that. And so I, I'm there with all of these weapons, and I, you know, I, I feel pretty good about myself. And, and we get done uh, with Persian Gulf, and I go back to the States. And my weapons stayed with the ship because they weren't my weapons. They were just assigned to me. And I came back to the United States. And, and after leave, I went back to work. And one of the first things that I had the joy and privilege of doing was going to watch. Watch in the Navy is guard duty. You're guarding. And, and I had been doing this for months and months and months. And I knew what guard duty entailed. And so I showed up to the hangar where we kept six six million dollar aircraft and it was very expensive helicopters and i was there to guard them and the guy that was on watch before me takes off the watch belt it's this white belt and on the white belt there is a baton right no no weapon other than a baton and he hands it to me and as i'm putting it on it dawns on me that i don't have my pistol or my rifle or any of that. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I, was, I was a little vocal about it, uh, vocal enough that I got to talk to the officer uh, that was on duty about my hesitation, that I felt that it was unimportant for us to have this. Because if somebody showed up, I wasn't going to even try and stop them. That was the reality of it. I, I wasn't interested. Th- those helicopters didn't matter a lick to me. And if they wanted the helicopters, I was going to be like, hey, would you like a nice new baton to go with your new helicopters? And the, the officer told me, hey, we're just trying to keep people in the Navy from taking our parts because there was some of that that would happen. If you didn't have enough parts, you would go and borrow them from your neighboring squadron. And I, like, I heard what he was saying, but to me, I was like, I'm out. If somebody shows up, I am not in it because none of this matters to me. None of this matters to me. Now, it's very self-centered, and I was pretty self-centered at the time. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, I've put people in charge of you, but they're only hired hands. And, and the minute that the wolf shows up, they're out because they're not in it for you the sheep, they're in it for the paycheck. They're just hired to be there. But Jesus wants us to understand that he is not like that. That that is not his role. That is not who he is. That is not what he is all about. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. 
and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. See, this is, this is what it's all about, friends. The good shepherd stays regardless of the cost. Why? Because they're his sheep. He cares for the sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep. And love will compel you to do some crazy things. There is no cost too great for the shepherd because he loves his sheep. There is nothing that will prevent him from from protecting and doing all he can to make his sheep know that they are cared for and to be protected and to be loved. No cost too great. The, The hired hand is out, but the good shepherd will stay no matter what, even even if it costs him his life. Because he will do what he can to keep his sheep safe. Jesus continues, I have sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus takes a little bit of a detour in this statement. And it can sound like he's, uh, he's changing direction, but truly he's saying, hey, the good shepherd loves his sheep, and, and there are more sheep than you would be willing to understand. Remember, he is talking to the religious elite, and while he's talking to the religious elite, he's letting them know that, hey, the people that you don't even think are worthy are the sheep of my pasture. And I am the good shepherd for them too. The sheep, the sheep are there uh, because they need a shepherd, but the shepherd says, hey, I, I'm going to go after them regardless of what they know. And, and who are these sheep? They're the ones that were broken and on the sidelines in the community that were, were deemed unworthy and unlovable by the religious elite. And there are also us, you and me, those who were outside of relationship, those who were considered Gentiles because they weren't born Jewish, and yet they find life now because they are included in this community. Jesus came truly for those who need him, for those who hear his voice and turn to him. Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. The reason that my Father loves me is because I am obedient to Him. I am obedient in service to Him. I am obedient in faithfulness to Him. I am obedient in even laying down my life for those that he has entrusted me with. Even death on a cross isn't too much for Jesus to pay. Jesus knows what's coming, friends. Jesus knows and has known that, that ultimately, in order to faithfully do the Father's plan, that he must lay down his life 
that he must give his life. It's not a surprise to him. He didn't get arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and was like, wow, this is new. I didn't expect this. Jesus had been teaching his disciples and explaining to them that this was what he had to do. Now, they didn't always understand, but Jesus wasn't surprised because he always understood. And he says this, no one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He's talking about his life. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to choose obedience, but no one takes my life from me. No one surprises me and suddenly I'm getting arrested and executed and I didn't know anything about it. Jesus is saying, I am offering myself, my life to you. Jesus chooses to give his life for you and for me. The good shepherd loves his sheep. Jesus chooses to give his life for you and for me. It is Christ's love for us that makes us worthy. Not how we feel about ourselves, not how much we've let Jesus change us, not even how much we love him in return. It is Jesus' love for us, unconditional, undeserved, unearned, that Jesus offers. And Jesus says, there is no boundary to the love that I have for you. I'm going to come after you regardless of where you are, regardless of how you've lived your life, and I'm going to offer you life. Why? Because I love you. Love is why. Love is what motivates the good shepherd to stay and protect his flock. Love is what motivates Jesus to offer life to each and every one of us, to lay down his life so that we might have life in him. Hearing this and seeing this, understanding this can bring a different perspective for us because it's not just our value as a commodity that makes Jesus interested in us. Jesus loves us and offers his life so that we might have life, just like a good shepherd. And he's explaining this to the Pharisees and the religious elite, and he's explaining this to the people then, and he's explaining it to us now, saying, I still love you, and I would do it all again in an instant. And so that leaves us with a question of how can we respond? What can we do for this great love? What, what is it that we can do? And, and truly, it's not an act of I need to do something because God has first done something. We don't have to feel guilty and, and that's why we do it. But instead, let's listen to the shepherd's voice, the one that calls out to us, in the darkness, the one that calls us 
back into community, the one that offers grace, the one that shares love. Let's spend time in the presence of the shepherd, listening to his voice so that we know where he is calling us to, so that we can follow where the shepherd leads us, so that we can be attentive to his voice and that we go where he is leading us so that we can share in the life that he has imagined for us, and then we can live how the shepherd desires us to live. Following him faithfully, loving him in return, and allowing ourselves to be transformed so that we can live how the shepherd desires us to live. I mean, God desires for your care and well-being. God loves you so much so that Jesus comes into the world so that we might have life because we couldn't do it on our own. And if we believe that, don't you think it's time we started acting like it? Let's pray. Holy God, we need you. Each and every moment of each and every day, we need you. So draw near to us. Surround us with your love and grace. Embrace us in this moment and in every moment to come so that we might grow in relationship with you. Help us, help us to recognize the great gift that you have given us. Help us to listen to your voice. Help us to, to follow where you're leading. And help us to live the way that you want us to so that we can be more like Jesus now and every single day until you return and we celebrate together the love of the Good Shepherd. We pray this now in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of us agreed and said, Amen.